0: Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. And this is Dimity McDowell. And
1: guess what, Sarah? Guess what? It snowed today in Denver, and I did not touch
0: it. I ran by the beach instead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, because we are here in Cape Cod at our retreat. Our retreat yeah, last year we tried to do this, and we had some technical issues. Oh, that's right. We did. We mm-hmm. hit the technical issues mm-hmm. and we also uh, hit a nor'easter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and some really windy weather and cold weather. and this this weekend looks to be
0: just lovely. I mean, it is just sublime here right now. Uh-huh. yeah, we got to do a bunch of sessions outside, so it was quite delightful. And um, yeah, we're delightful delighted to be back. but um, next year, this time we're gonna be in Portland. Going so, cross country, we are going cross country. So yeah, we will be doing another retreat and another podcast recording with Alex. This is faux Alex who's recording for us today. He looks he looks a little faux Alex though. I mean, he could he does, be Alex. He could yeah. be out. He's most certainly Jackson, could be Alex. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um and it's it's sort of good that we had to uh, postpone this podcast party a year because our guest that we have today was unable to join us last year. So um we were making do with uh, wonderful different people, but um. This year, our guest is a man incredibly well-respected in the running community. Dave McGillivray is the race director of the Boston Marathon, uh, this little jogathon race here in Massachusetts. You might have heard of. Um, I'm quoting him when I say this little jogathon race. Um, in that role, Dave is famed for being the last runner to cover the distance from Hopkinton to Copley Plaza, running the race long after other competitors have finished. But that's just one of the amazing feats Dave McGillivray is has completed in his life, and we'll dive into more of those later. We'll talk about many of those accomplishments, as well as Dave's uh, 2018 triple bypass surgery and his new children's book. After this quick break, you must stay with us. You must.
2: hmm hmm
0: So welcome, Dave. It's a true honor to have you here with us.
3: Well, you didn't really have to bend my arm to come down here to be one guy with 50 women. <laughs> <laughs>
1: running women not just women right. yeah exactly.
3: before we begin, I was listening to everything going on in the last hour, and I've been involved in this sport, this industry, for over forty years, and I am truly inspired by all of you. um you know, years ago, running was all about just competitiveness, and then the walls of intimidation crumbled, people started believing in themselves. They're doing it for a greater purpose. Philanthropy entered the sport. Women entered the sport. And um, what I'm seeing now is just really, really inspiring, especially a group like this. So kudos to these two for putting this all together and Melissa. Yeah. That's
1: really lovely. Thank you very much. Um, We want to know about you, though. A lot more about you. Um, So first, you have five children. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I a research Well, what has, I left my computer five times. <laughs> <laughs> I have five children and I'm never leaving my computer again. <laughs> but I yes, I do. How,
1: how old are they? 29,
3: 26, and 15,
1: 13, and 10. Wow. wow. Okay. So... Wow. And our, we, I I got to know we we got to know are they runners?
3: Um, one of them truly is, my 13-year-old son, Luke, he just ran a half marathon uh, last uh, weekend, and he ran 131. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he ran under seven-minute pace as a 13-year-old, so, um, so he's got his dad's speed? well, he doesn't have my speed, he might have a little endurance from me, I don't have any speed, um, but, uh, but I'm so proud of him, and, you know, I think he's got a great future.
1: Well, I, we do think you have speed. You have quite – I mean, I really – I was reading through these questions. I can't wait to get to them, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll, I, we'll start with something easier. Um, well, we want to hear about your early days as an athlete, including your habit of running your um, – on your birthday, which mm-hmm. is August 22nd, if anyone wants to send you a card. Um, <laughs> you run the equivalent of the number of miles of your age, and you haven't missed that since age 12. Mm-hmm. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, so like all of us, we all – Something happened. I have a speech It's called Defining Moments. And in our lives, there's always a defining moment that sort of makes you realize that, you know, you want to to set a goal. You, you, You want to accomplish something. And for me, when I was a young boy, I always wanted to be one thing and one thing only. And I wanted to be an athlete. But unfortunately for me, I was challenged. And well, you can see as vertically challenged. And as a result, I was always the last one picked and the last one cut when I went out for a team. So the long story short is I started running because nobody can cut you from running. And so I've run about 150,000 miles since then. And I've run 157 marathons and all these other different things. And um, so for me, running became the path to becoming an athlete. So I always tell people, you know, if you're passionate about something, you want, to, you want to achieve something, you have a goal and an objective in life, there's always a path by which you can get there. And okay. for me, running was that path.
1: Okay, so when you were 12, you ran 12 miles. So
3: when I was 12, when I'm, on my 12th birthday, there's a pond near where I live in Medford, Mass. So I ran around the pond that morning. It was six miles. And then I had cake and ice cream. And I said, well, I better burn this off. So I went and ran and around. <laughs> Ran around the pond again. So I ran 12 miles on my 12th birthday. I thought that was pretty cool. So when I turned 13, I said, what did I do when I was 12? I ran 12, so i miles so around 13, 14, 14, 15, 15. And then when I turned um 54, I started the finish line of the Boston Marathon, ran to the start, turned around, ran to the finish, and then ran into Fenway Park in front of 35,000 people to to raise money for the Jimmy Fund, and the Jimmy Fund is the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and that's, you know, for me, it's always about giving back and doing this now for a greater purpose, and so when I turned 60, I ran 60 miles my 60th birthday, and people say to me all the time, what the heck are you going to do when you turn 90? And I always, and I have a motto in life, and my motto is, it's my game. So it's my rules. Mm. So I can change the rules. I can do anything I want. I, you know, First of all, you know, I want to be breathing when I'm 90 <laughs> and then get out of bed. And then I'll decide then. I don't have to decide now what I want to do 25 years from now. So, so I've been able to keep that streak alive for the last 52 years or whatever it is.
0: Wow. So, you know, you mentioned in, there, in that answer that you have run about 150,000 lifetime miles. I'm always intrigued by people who know their lifetime miles, especially, you know, I mean, it would be one thing for, like, a 25-year-old to know because they'd probably be all logged on Garmin or whatever. But, I mean, how did you, like, sit down one day and, and figure all that out? Well, it's
3: it's certainly an estimate. Like, I'm not so anal. I mean, there's a lot of runners out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm into running, but I'm not really anal about it to the point mm-hmm. where every single, you know, I'm, I'm logging. In. I don't have a running r- runner's log at all. Oh, uh uh-huh. No, but I know how many miles I run on average a week, so how much a month and how many, you know, so forth. So you just uh-huh. add it all up, and it's well over $150,000. So. uh huh mm-hmm.
0: But you decide to just sit down one day and say, figure it yeah, out. Yeah, figure that. it out, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, all right. Because you don't have enough to do.
3: I was a math major. No, it's okay, an easy okay, math. Okay, all
0: right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, what I do. <laughs> All right, so as I alluded to in the intro, you have so many athletic accomplishments in your mm-hmm. life, including Ironman World Championship nine times. You've completed, is it 126 marathons still? Now you said 100, 156? 150. wow, all right. Okay. Um, including the Boston Marathon the past 47 years. You've completed 24-hour run, bike, and swim separately. But you're perhaps best known for running across the country from Medford, Oregon, Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, to your hometown of Medford, Massachusetts. I like the Medford connection, Mm -hmm. Um, averaging 45 miles per day. Mm -hmm. So and that was not like yesterday or something. So that was 41 years ago. Tell us what it was like and tell us about the gear that you wore because, I mean, it was not,
3: you they, know... Like 100% cotton. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck
0: it Taylors? Was, were they Chuck Taylors? The,
3: all of the You know, it just, I didn't have anything, you know, no GPS and no cell cellular phones and no, my power bars were chocolate chip cookies and, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff back then. But for me, a friend of mine had biked across America and I thought that was pretty cool. And I said, well, if he can bike across the country... I can run across the country. Well, that's an idiotic idea because <laughs> biking and running are a little bit different, but no, it was my game, my rules. So I decided I was going to train. I was going to work hard. So I trained for four years and I decided to run across America for the Jimmy Fund. And as I said before, the Jimmy Fund's the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and this is back in 1978. And I was working at the Hancock Tower in Boston at the time, and I looked out and I saw Fenway Park, and I saw a sign out in right field, and the sign said, "Help make a dream come true. Support the Jimmy Fund." Is that and is I, that
1: what well, is that truly how you, you don't have any that, other connection? No, I had no other, I had no
3: connection. So I picked up. I didn't even know what the Jimmy Fund was. Okay. And so I picked up the phone. A guy by the name Ken Coleman answered. Was the voice of the Red Sox, and he was the executive director of the Jimmy Fund. And I said, "Hi, Mr. Coleman. My, my name is Dave, and I want to run across the country for the Jimmy Fund." Well, after he He picked himself up off the floor. (laughs) He said, yeah, the Red Sox will support you, and the Jimmy Fund will support you. And I said, great. So I said, now i got to find out what this Jimmy Fund's all about. And I went in, (laughs) and I saw the kids in the clinic being treated for cancer. And I knew at the time that the battle that I was about to fight by running over 5.5 million footsteps across America was in no way as difficult as the battle that these kids are fighting for their own life. And it's not fair. And And I saw a sign in the Jimmy Fund clinic, and the sign said, God made only so many perfect heads. The rest of them have hair on it. And I thought, what a powerful message that is. That's turning negatives into a positive. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really think about that, think about those kids as I run across the United States, and and I was able to do it, and I finished in Fenway Park on August 29, 1978, and that's when I realized at that point in time, running around Fenway was funny, because they said, you can run out the left field wall, run on the warning track, finish at home plate, say a few words to the crowd, and get off. I said, okay, fine. I come out of the left field wall, well, the crowd was going nuts, standing ovation, the players were screaming. I kept going around and around. (laughs) around. (laughs) They had to call the police on me as a We're going to start the game. Get this joker off the field. So, And ever since then, and and Runner's World said that that was the first time anybody had combined running with raising money for cancer research. And look what's happened since then. And since then, with all the races I've directed, about 1,200, and all the runs I've done across the country, up the East Coast, 24-hour this, that, and the other thing, my company and all the events, everything, we've probably raised between $200 and $300 million for, wow. for all different charities and stuff. Wow. So that's what I'm most proud of. Hmm.
1: That is truly impressive. Congratulations. Um, so you've written a couple books. So the first book um, that I think it was the first book that you wrote, Running Across America, A True Story of Dreams, Determination, and Heading for Home. Is that, was that, that was about
2: you? So the first
3: book was called The Last Pick. Oh, I'm sorry. Because when I was a kid, I was okay. always the last pick. When my friends would pick sides, it's got, I got Pete, I got Ralph, I got Fred, I got Tom, I got Jane, I got Sally. They picked the girls over me. <laughs> and so at that time, I learned something that a lot of kids go through in life. And for me, it was, it, was very, it was a defining moment. And I learned about the concept of rejection because no one wanted me. Mm. You know, I felt like I wasn't needed. And that really hurt a little kid who wanted to make the team and, and be an athlete. And again, that's why, that's why I started running. So I ended up writing the book called The Last Pick. People say to me all the time, what's, the, what's your book about? I say, it's about the person reading it. What do you mean? Every one of you in this room, you're in the book. Because you can identify. We all have hurdles and challenges in our lives, and how do we overcome it? You know, how do we say, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig deep, and I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to get through this somehow, some way. So that's what The Last Pick's all about. Okay. Then I wrote a, a children's book just last year called Dream Big. Okay. Because, um, you know, for me, when I was little, well, I was little. <laughs> but I had big dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all about the whole concept of, you know, thinking big and working hard and earning the right. And so I wrote this book called Dream Big. And in the back of the book, there's a challenge. Because I don't want kids to read the book, put it down, and then go go play ping pong or something. There's a call to action. I want kids to read the book and act on it. And so in the back of the book, it's called the Dream Big Marathon. And what it is, it's challenging kids to read 26 books, education, run 26 miles, physical fitness, health and fitness, and do 26 acts of kindness mm-hmm. and giving back. And if they do that, I mail them a Dream Big medal. I wow. got thousands and thousands and thousands of kids across America doing the Dream Big marathon right wow. now. So that's, wow. that's really pretty cool. And then just... I just launched my second children's book at, at Fenway Park uh, two months ago called Running Across America. It was funny. I was launching the book. The book's called Running Across America and someone comes up and he said, hey, what's your book about? <laughs> <laughs> it's about growing tomatoes. <laughs> it's about running across America. You know, So it, it just talks all about you know, the, 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 the uh, 1978s. The yeah, okay. Run, run well, so, did
1: you keep, um, as a journalist, a former yeah. journalist, did you keep really detailed notes or how did you remember all that well, stuff? Well, what
3: I did was, you know, we, again, we didn't have all the technology then that we have today, but I had a, uh, a cassette player. And so, uh-huh. what I would do is at the end of every, like if I ran 45 miles that day, I'd go into the motorhome. I had three guys following me in a ho- motorhome, leapfrogging me. And I'd go into the motorhome, grab the cassette player, and I'd walk. The last, two more, I wouldn't walk the last two miles. I'd walk two more miles, and I'd record into the cassette recorder everything that happened during the day. Oh, and I that's how that. I was able to capture it. So by walking two miles every day, you know, I, you know, in, in 20 days, I had 40 extra miles in the bank. In case something were to happen to me, I wouldn't have fallen Mm-hmm. behind sure. schedule because mm-hmm. i had to be at fenway park on august 29th oh, that was my sure. commitment to run in mm. so i didn't take any days off and you know p- you know it's funny because i ran i ran west to east why west to east because first of all i figured if i can get through the desert it was about 120 130 degrees while i was running if i can get over the rocky mountains then i felt like i could get through it in a healthy manner you know what the toughest part about running across america was the state of Pennsylvania.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, really. It's just, it's like this. And it was 350 miles of up and down and up and down and up and down. The only thing I wanted to do in Pennsylvania was get the hell out of there, right? <laughs> so I started upping my mileage from 50 to 55 to 57 miles a day wow. just so I can get out of there. And then wow. I ran west to east because they say the, they, they, who is they, by the way? They <laughs> say the prevailing winds go west to east. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bunch of malaki because I, <laughs> <laughs> I had the winds at my face the whole way as far as I'm concerned. But the last reason why I ran West East is because, like Dorothy, I was running home. And every step I was taking was closer and closer to home, the people who loved me, the people who were praying for me, who cared about me, and the Jimmy Fun kids. And that's mm-hmm. why I went West East across America. So there's, there's a lot more to it. I could talk all night about yeah. just that run across and how i was able to do it and how do you run 45 50 miles every single day day after day after day in all kinds of weather all kinds of terrains and stuff but you know there's an believe it or not there is an intelligent approach to the madness but so it's not just physical it's emotional it's mental it's intellectual you know it's all that combined
0: sure. because then you went back and you've done it again with friends right
3: yeah then 25 years later i did it again um as a relay, I got really smart. <laughs> I got nine. Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> and I got nine other guys, and we relayed across America. And we ran the exact same course that I ran 25 years earlier and and finished that one in Fenway Park. So, we again, raising money for, for charity.
1: Wow. Um, yeah. I'm just curious. Quick question yeah. before we move on to another subject. Yeah. But what was harder, doing the uh, coast-to-coast uh, run yeah. or writing the book about it?
3: <laughs> well... No, writing the book about it was was a lot of fun I mean it was? Okay, yeah, good. it was a lot of fun, and you know all the anecdotes and the stories that that occurred that happened to me and the experiences i mean you can imagine three months out there in the middle of the country. You know, running in your underwear, basically (laughs) all by yourself, you know, with the rattlesnakes and with, the, you know, all kinds of crazy things happen. So I just took some of those stories and put them all in the book and, you know, tried to make it motivational, inspirational for the kids.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So as I mentioned, we tried to get you as our guest last year, but life threw you a curveball that put you out of commission for a bit. Please tell us about your bypass surgery as well as the dietary and lifestyle changes that you made in hopes of beating your coronary artery about disease. 6 years
3: ago I was out running and I could feel some difficulty in my chest some discomfort and some difficulty labor breathing so I said well maybe it's the way I tied my shoes or <laughs> you know how I combed my hair that day I, you know sure, I mean no, I'm just no
1: runner can relate to that no at no all. I'm just
3: <laughs> dismissing the, the, this and I kept in it was persistent and persistent, and I said, I bet I should probably go get this checked out. So I went to Mass General Hospital, and they did an echocardiogram, pulmonary tests, EKG, stress tests, everything, and they all said the same thing. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm. I said, yes, there is. I can't breathe when I'm running. And they said, well, we can't find anything. I said, well, you've got to give me the big boy tests. Mm. Look under the hood. Mm-hmm. So they did, and they did a CAT scan and an angiogram. And the cat doctor comes in, and he goes, there, 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 there. I said, there what? He said, you have severe coronary artery disease. Mm. How can I have severe coronary artery disease? I said, I've run 100, you know. And he says, I, I, I don't know, but you have it. Mm. And I said, is it must be genetics. But I said, you know something, son of a gun. A lot of it's probably self-inflicted. Mm. You know, I broke some of the rules. Mm. You know, I, I felt if the furnace was hot enough, it'll burn. You know, I go out for a 20-mile run. I come home. I can have that half a pint of ice cream because I earned it. Mm-hmm. It's a reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, over 50 years, it adds up, too. Mm. Stress, the bombings in Boston in 2013. And this all happened in 2013. That was a bad mm. year. Mm. Um, and then, you know, sleep. And I always thought sleep was overrated. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead and the whole bit. And So I was breaking the rules left and right. But I remember I turned to the doctor and I said, i got to tell you one thing. He said, what? I said, zip it up. He said, what do you mean? Mm. I says, don't you dare tell anyone. Mm. He said, why? I says, because it's a ding in the armor. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to know I'm ill. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been healthy and fit all my life. Well, I learned a, a valuable lesson. is just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. Mm-hmm. And I thought it did. I thought it did. So I turned to the doctor and I said, I have one question to ask you. He said, what? I said, is this reversible? And he said, well, it depends. It depends on what? Depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him." <laughs> me- McFly, I'm right here. <laughs> she said, well, you with your discipline and the way you would attack things? He said, yeah, I think you can have an impact in your own illness. And I said, okay, sign me up. Well, I went on a tear. I mean, I changed everything. Yeah, My diet, nutrition, sleep habits, stress, everything. I changed everything. In about five months, I had lost 27 pounds, lowered my cholesterol level by over 100 points. And then I said, I want to go back to Hawaii to do the Ironman triathlon. I hadn't done it in 25 years. I did it in 1980. Then I did it again in 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, and 89. And I hadn't done it in 25 years. And I said, I want to do the Ironman again. Why? Because it's a magnet. It's a target, just like you on Saturday or Sunday. It's a magnet. It's something that gets you up every morning to get the work done. I needed that. You know, so I called the Iron Man people. And I said, any chance I can do the Iron Man again? And, you know, I've helped them out. And they said, fine. And they said, but one thing. I said, what? They said, you've got to get a note from your doctor. <laughs> I said, I've never got a note from my doctor in my life. Well, you have to. So... I said to my doctor I need a note he said I'm not giving you a note he said I don't want you to go down in the lava fields I said well I I fixed myself you know I'm better he says let's do another angiogram we did and I reversed my severe coronary artery disease by over 40% Mm. on my own right I went back did the, did the Iron Man, and then a couple of years go by, and I'm running and I'm ra- racing hard, and then I decided to do this world Marathon challenge. Mm-hmm. And the World Marathon Challenge is running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. So I ran a marathon in Antarctica and then get on the plane and went to Cape Town, South Africa, and then Perth, Australia, and then Dubai, and then Lisbon, Portugal, Cartagena, and Colombia, and then Miami. Seven marathons, seven days, seven continents, got that done, felt good, and two months later I could feel a discomfort in my chest again. I said, what the heck is this? So I went back and had another angiogram, and he said, well, you fix these, but this one has 90% blockage. I said, you got to be kidding me, right? I said, no. and I, So I had to decide what to do. He said, you have three options. Number one, do nothing, but you have to live a sedentary life. Mm-hmm. I said, cross that one off. Mm-hmm. Number two is we can stent it, but it's, it could be risky. It's in a bad place. I said, I don't want to take any risk. Cross that off. Or number three is we could do open heart bi- bypass surgery. I said, I don't like that one either. Cross that one off. <laughs> So he said, you've run out of options. I said, yeah, I guess I have. And then I realized over the years, so many people from across America have written to me telling me that they heard the story and that I was recovering and that they had similar symptoms. They went to the hospital. They walked out with three stents. And they wrote to me and said, you saved my life. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I didn't save your life. You saved your own life. But they said, no, you created the awareness. You know, because all us, I, I think the most vulnerable people on the planet are some of the most fit people on the planet because we're in denial. Yes. We don't believe this can happen to us, but it can, you know, no, no matter what. It can. Genetics, period. You can't run away from that. So it was, I turned to the doctor, and this was six months before this year's Boston Marathon. I said, well, I have one question to ask you. He said, what? I said, well, there's this little jogathon in April <laughs> that I've run a couple of times, 46 times. I said, what do you think? He gave me the best possible answer. He didn't say, yes, I think you can do it. He didn't say, no, you can't. Don't do that. He said, I'd be extremely disappointed if you couldn't. And you know what? That gave me what I needed. And what I needed was hope. That's all I wanted was hope. I had an, a nugget out there that I had to go after. So it was a delicate balance between having the surgery and recovering, whatever that means, and then training while recovering and getting myself in good enough shape to run 26.2 miles. And you know, I went out and I did it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Oh. so I got my 47th one in. Yeah. I was) like,
1: Well, and I mean, you you talked about the public response a little bit already, you know, yeah. about how you um, people were very positive about it and, and finding their own issues. Um, but like, can you talk a little bit more about the embarrassment? I mean, you you, you put in an email to Sarah about how um, how it's hard, right? Because you are the face of fitness, and you're the face of the Boston Marathon, and here you are, you know, repping this thing, and you've got this scar,
3: right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you want to we- see it? Yeah, I have a scar, too. I should have been up there. Yeah, window. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, listen. We all have egos. You know, we all have um, images that we want to project. And when that gets challenged a little bit, you know, I, I've always felt there's three types of pain. There's physical pain, which you can train for and combat. There's mental pain, which you can train for and train your mind to do almost anything. But the toughest pain... Is emotional pain. Mm-hmm. That one's tough. You can't, you can't train for that. It just mm-hmm. comes out of left field and whacks you right in the face, right? And that one was more emotional, like, what am I going to do with this? You know, what am I going to do with this? But in Massachusetts, there's a public safety campaign that says, um, if you see something say, something, say something. Well, my campaign now is, if you feel something, mm-hmm. say something. Mm-hmm. You have to advocate yourself Mm -hmm. you know and that's what my whole mission is now is i'm I'm out to try to save lives yeah Mm -hmm. right now i mean that's that's what this is all about and so many times people just they ignore themselves you know years and years ago i always used to think when i went out the door and the kids are home and my wife's whatever i thought it was selfish of me to like go out and do a 20 mile run and come back a couple hours later or whatever and now i realize no 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 that's unselfish because you're taking care of yourself, you know, and that's going to put yourself in a position where you're not going to have to burden someone else to take care of you for you, and you put yourself in a position where you're able to get back and help those who are in need. So the most important person in this room right now is you, is you. You know, we all have something in common, all of us in this room. I don't even know any of you, but I know <laughs> we have something in common. We woke up this morning. Not everyone else did. That is a gift. And you didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened. Now, what happens for the rest of the day, that's in your hands. Now it's up to you to make the most of it. And that's how I try to live each and every one of my days.
0: Nice. So, without making light of all you just said, I'd like to shift topics to the World Marathon Challenge that that you outlined, the the seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. So, I mean, what was a standout memory from that exceptional week?
3: You know, for me, first of all, I don't do things on a bar room bet. (laughs) It may seem like that. A lot of people do. (laughs) But I think about what I want to do. You have to want to do it. then... I have to earn the right to do it. Mm. So before I committed to doing this World Marathon Challenge, I said, I'm 63 now, and can I do this anymore? I never did back. I hadn't done back-to-back 25, 26, 30-mile days in a long time. So I said, can I still do this? So uh, three weeks before the Boston Marathon that year, 2017, I guess it was, I went out, and on Sunday I ran 26 miles around the neighborhood, came home, and then Monday, I woke up and ran 26 miles around the neighborhood again, came home. Mm. And Tuesday, I woke up and ran 26 miles around the neighborhood and came home. Mm. Then I ran a half marathon on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday, I get up and ran the Boston Marathon course. So I ran four marathons and three halves in a week. And I said then, I got it. I think I got this. You know, I think I can do this. If I can do this around the neighborhood... You know, mm-hmm. who, maybe maybe I can do this, right? H- had you registered at that point? No, <laughs> you really hadn't. No, I'm sure you had a little bit of an in, but no, no, I had, oh. no. I got asked to do it. I, you got asked to the do entry oh, okay. fee forty-seven thousand dollars. I wasn't gonna pay that. No, okay, I, I got invited to do it. So, oh, okay. so, so that that, but but people, someone said to me, "Wow, aren't you training a little early for this?" I said, "I'm I'm not training for this, Be- physically. I'm training." Emotionally and mentally I, I, I want to make sure that I, I can I don't want to jump on a plane in Dubai and come home because You know I recklessly set this goal So so that's when I decided I'm gonna do this and I train 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 now Physically, I knew I could run 26 miles a day in consecutive days But could I do it jump on a plane and try to recover at 35,000 feet sleep on the plane eat on the plane? And then do it all over again. I don't know until I get there So the toughest part for me was sleep deprivation. I couldn't sleep on the darn plane. So I thought that I figured after three days, I'm toast. I thought I was just going to crash and burn. And I just, I was able to keep it going, but I still didn't get a lot of sleep. I probably got three, four hours of sleep on the plane a night while everyone else is like lying back with the things on their (laughs) eyes. And I was, I was going to make all kinds of noise and wake everyone up because (laughs) I said, this isn't fair, you know, but, but that's the thing that got me the most is the rat race in between huh.
2: each, I would imagine. each run, yeah. because
3: we had to just run the race and then quickly get on a bus and get right back to the airport and go through customs and carry our own bags and then jump on the plane and take off, fly for twelve hours, Did get you off get the plane. First boom.
1: class tickets with that forty-seven
3: thousand I mean, dollars. <laughs> well, we were on a chartered flight, oh. so you know. Yeah, okay. But you're still sitting in a seat. Yes. To try to recover from a marathon. And with a what? How much of a not recline? Much. Like two inches. Not, not a lot. <laughs> Yeah. He doesn't need as much leg room as I you know, do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not going to sign up and do it again if that's what you're asking me. Yeah. All right. All
1: right. Yeah. Okay, well, so what we really uh, also want to hear about and we um, want to spend a little time on this is, of course, the Boston Marathon. And um, why do you think it captures the imagination and dreams of so many runners?
3: Well, i just tell you. Oh, wait, hold, hold up the microphone. You... I'll just tell you my first experience Please. with it. So <laughs> I was 17 years old. And I heard about it on the radio. And I said, I want to do this. So I called my grandfather up, who was a supporter of my athleticism. And I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go run that race in Boston. So he says, oh, great. They call that the Boston Marathon. I said, (laughs) oh, well, that's a good name for it. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go do it. He says, great. I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. I said, great. Where's that? He said, 24 miles. I said, okay, Grandpa. He lived right near there. He just walked across the street. I said, fine. My brother drove me out to the start, and I took off, and I didn't earn the right to do this. And I got to the hills in Newton, and down I go, flat out in the hills in Newton. I got taken to the Newton-Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. Wow. I got to the hospital, and I called my parents. I said, can you come pick me up? And they said, where are you? I said, I'm in the Newton-Wellesley Hospital. They said, what are you doing there? <laughs> I said, Never mind. <laughs> Come pick me up. They pick me up. Did they even wh- know you were running the marathon? They didn't know. I didn't tell anyone but my grandfather. So I got home and I called my grandfather. No answer. Call him again. No answer. Call him again. No answer. Nine o'clock at night. He answers the phone. I said, "Grandpa, where've you been?" "Dave, where've you been?" The old man. I've been waiting for you all night. The old man goes by. Kelly. The street sweepers go by. No Dave. I said, "Yeah, yeah." I I failed. He said, "You what?" I said, I quit. He said, nah, you didn't quit. I said, no, what did I do? He said, you learned. I said, oh, nice. What I learned?" <laughs> he said, you learned you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. Yeah, you could set goals, but they can't be reckless. I said, you're right. You've got to earn the right to do that. I said, fine. He said, I'll cut another deal with you. I said, what's that? He says, you train. Now, there's a novelty. You, know? <laughs> you train for it, and I'll be there waiting for you next year. Promise. I said, great. Two months later, my grandfather died. So I said, i got to do this for grandpa. i got to do it. 18 years old, I was running 120, 130 miles a week. I was, re- I was fit. I was ready to go. All of a sudden, the day before the Boston Marathon, I got sick. And my parents said, you can't run. I said, I have to run. The newspapers are saying, Dave, running in memory of your grandfather. I, I have to run. They said, you can't. You're too sick. I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me before? And they said, what's that? I said, a chance. Can you just give me a chance? Because that's all I ever wanted in life. It's just a chance. That's it. There's no such thing as failure if you try. If you don't try, that's the only way you fail in life. So they said, okay. And they let me start. So I take off. I get to five miles. Ugh. I was done. Toast. I said, I got to keep going. I keep going. And finally, I got to the halfway point, and there's my parents standing on the side of the road. And there's my mother. And what's she doing? She's crying. Hmm. Why? Because that's what mothers do. <laughs> they cry. Why? Because they're worried about you. They're going through more pain than you'll ever go through. Amen you know? to that. Amen to that. Amen to that. I got five kids. I know what that's about. You're only as happy as the, 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 the least happy kid in the lot, right? So, so my mother's crying, and there's my dad. What's he doing? He's taking pictures of my mother crying. You know, <laughs> <laughs> cry over here. I keep going. I keep going. I get to the point where I dropped out the year before, and I'm doing a survivor shuffle over the hills. And I finally, I got to 21.5 miles, and down I go again. Mm. Down I go again. I said, I oh, my, put my head in my hands, and I said, I can't believe it. I said, I'm the last pick. I'm the last one cut. I drop out of my first Boston. I drop out of my second Boston. Can you say, like, loser? Because that's what's going on in my mind. Like, I'm a loser. And all of a sudden, another defining moment happened. I'm sitting on the curb, 21.5 miles, on the Boston Marathon course. And I look behind me, and right behind me was my grandfather's tombstone. And he's buried in the Evergreen Cemetery, in the Evergreen Cemeteries, on the marathon course. I didn't know it. And that son of a gun said he'd be there. Now, he wasn't there physically, but he's there spiritually. He's still there, by the way. (laughs) Every year I run by, I say hi to Grandpa. And since he kept his end of the deal, I said, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. And I picked myself up, and I crossed the finish line in four and a half hours. And I said to myself, on that day in 1973, I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life in honor and tribute of the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do it. And that's why I've run it every single year for the last 47 years. (laughs) So I ended up getting offered the job to direct it after 15 years. And like I was like, what do I do? Do I run in it or run it? I felt like John Bellucci. I didn't know what to do. And then I said, well, I need the money. I'll take the job. So I took the job. I'm standing at the finish line of that year's Boston Marathon, 1988. And I'm high-fiving everyone. And all of a sudden, I said, something's wrong here. I don't feel good. You know, I'm an athlete, not a race director. I'm an athlete. And I tapped the state trooper on the shoulder, and I said, officer, you do me a favor. He said, what? I said, well, you drive me back to the start. He said, why? Did you forget something? I said, yeah, I forgot to run.
2: <laughs> so he
3: drove me back to the start, 8 o'clock at night, and I took off. And I finished at 11 o'clock at night, dead last. And I've been the last finisher of, my own, of the Boston Marathon for the last 32 years in a row. And my name's not in any record book. You won't find it. I don't care. It doesn't have to be in a record book anywhere. I kept my end of the deal with my grandfather and with myself to be able to run this race every year, same day as everyone else. I'm just like the fifth wave. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a little late after everyone. You know, I start when pretty much 98% of the runners are finished, and I go back out there and run the whole thing myself.
1: Were you able to do it this this April after your surgery? Yeah,
3: I, yeah so what, ha- what happened was, is, you know, it was – it was an awful day i mean the mm-hmm. the rain and the lightning and if probably i probably had more stress and pressure on me at this year's boston marathon than any other one in the last 32 years cause I had to make decisions at the start. Is this a go or no go? If you don't f- fire the gun, no one gets hurt. But if you don't fire the gun, you're going to get your sl- throat slit by everyone here because they're not going to be happy and they're going to run anyways. And uh, So I'm trying to make all these decisions and I'm like, I'm burning up energy. I just had open heart triple bypass surgery six months before. Now I got to come back out here about nine hours from now and run this thing myself. I'm like, How am I going to do this? All this is going through my head. Mm. Sure. So, But I, I got through the day. You know, and then i I was at the finish line, and I'm soaked, and I'm cold and I'm tired, and I just thought, you know this would probably be the right year to just end it
1: mm-hmm. call it
3: call it like this people would understand, mm-hmm. and there's this thing over here <laughs> <laughs> that won't let go I, said, oh, I gotta i gotta do this, i gotta do this, and I went back to the hotel, changed my clothes, went out to the start, and did it.
1: Good for you. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. You know, I wish you could tell some good stories, Dave. I mean, it's <laughs> really, this podcast has no, no good stories in it at all. Um, okay, let's let's talk about um, what advice do you have for runners striving to qualify for Boston? I, I think Sarah wants to talk about qualifying times, but, so let's, she'll, she'll follow up about that. But I'm just curious when people have Boston on their mind, and yeah. especially if they're not, you know, if say that they have to run a four-hour straight and they're maybe at five now. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of advice do you have for them?
3: Well, you know, the marathon, in Boston, is obviously unique. Um, we are very different in the sense of we are about the pursuit of athletic excellence. I mean, that's the foundation by which we exist. And then 30-some-odd years ago, we did open it up to philanthropy with the American Liver the association and then a Dana-Farber and then a, that that took off. So 80% of the participants in our race qualify and 20% are either in on a charity waiver or some other waiver, city or town or sponsor or whatever it might be. And we try to keep that delicate balance between 80 and 20 because mm-hmm. we want to open it up to people who probably can't qualify, in, in at least in their world. But this is another opportunity for them to be able to experience the Boston Marathon. So, you know, what happened last year is we opened registration. And then um, the second week of registration, we had to, you know, pick off the people. Now it's all about lining everyone up at the door by ability level and age group and peeling off the best until you get to the field size limit. And then, unfortunately, everyone else is turned away. It's just, we can only fit so many people. I have no more room to manage this race, especially in Hopkinton. The, my starting line is 39 feet wide. You know, New York City has 17 lanes on the Verrazano Bridge, right? And we got 30,000 people on a course that was built for a 200. Mm-hmm. So people don't have an appreciation for how we have to manage this log- logistically to get this thing done. So we have a field size limit. Anyways, once we reach that, we have to say sorry no more room at the end we turned away seven thousand qualifiers Mm -hmm. last year now these are people who ran on a marathon it's like if you ran cape cod on sunday and you qualify and you go i qualify for boston not so fast yeah you you qualify to apply Mm -hmm. you're not guaranteed years ago you were guaranteed because we didn't fill up we didn't fill up sure and then you know up uh, ten years ago, we filled up in eight hours and three minutes, and we said, "Okay, this has become a rush to the keyboard. It can't. It, that's not what we're about. Whoever gets there first and gets yeah. in, type mm-hmm. thing." And we changed the whole registration process by saying, "Okay, anyone who beats their qualifying time by twenty minutes or more can register on Monday, or ten minutes or more can register on Wednesday, and five minutes or more can register on Friday." And then on the next week, we'll let anyone and everyone who who are qualified apply, and then we'll just start piling them off for five minutes, four fifty nine, four fifty eight, four fifty seven. And then there's an offset. And the offset this year was, uh, well, this year was like, last year was 4 minutes and Mm -hmm. 53 seconds. So if you didn't beat your qualifying time by 4 minutes and 53 seconds, you didn't get in. Mm -hmm. So I said, I just don't like this. I mean, it's fair because the market is setting the, the, you know, the, the time, you know, it's the marketplace. It's you all against each other. To, you know, it's almost like applying to college. You could be valedictorian in the high school and think, I'm into Harvard, but there's 700 million valedictorians applying too. Sure. And they all, you know, so they're comparing you against all of them. And it's like, mm, see ya. you know, it's like, wait a minute. And so that's what's happening here. So I didn't want to be the one disappointing 7,000 people. So we decided to squeeze the qualifying time by another five minutes thinking that we're going to get close to the point where everyone who qualifies and applies gets in. And then you son of a guns, all of you, <laughs> all, we raise the bar and you meet it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: we're changing the industry. I mean, what's happening is people are like, okay, that's the time I got to get? Then I'm going to train even harder. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. You know, it, I mean, that's what separates Boston from er- every other road race on the planet. Right. So we ended up turning the offset this year was less for obvious reasons. It's five minutes tighter, but it was one thirty nine. But we still turned away three thousand runners, three thousand qualifiers. So, you know,
1: what kind of emails do you get?
3: right after you it's, announced uh, that. It's <laughs> awful. It's funny, when we closed out in eight hours and three minutes or whatever, my colleagues from around the country, race directors and stuff, like, hey, wow, your race filled up in like eight hours. You must be excited. I said excited. I'm hiding under the bed. <laughs> you know? It's the worst. No, it's the worst thing that can happen. I don't want any of my race. I direct 35 races a year, not just Boston. I direct Falmouth and Beach to Beacon and I direct, I'm going to put on a Lululemon race in San Diego in two weeks. Mm-hmm. We got 5,000 in that race. Um, I direct uh, Bell & Run in Green Bay. I I direct races all over the country, all over the world, actually. But in any event, when they fill up like this, I hate it because Mm -hmm. someone, you know, maybe it was a heart surgeon was was saving someone's life and then he goes home to register for the race and it's closed. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair, you know? So I don't want races to fill, maybe over a couple of weeks, but not in two hours, you know, kind of a thing, you know? So so anyway, so... and, and other people are like, oh, he's so lucky. His races fill up so fast. And other people are getting on all fours to beg people to come to their race. So okay. everything's relative and everything's different. So
1: what's, what's your fa- So, so yeah. you do, thir- what did you say, 35 other races? Yeah. yeah. So what's your, who's your stepchild to the Boston Marathon? What's your next favorite race?
3: Um, it, Falmouth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good answer, good answer.
3: Did I do good? Play to the crowd, play to the crowd. Yeah. I don't know where this is going, so. <laughs> yeah. Feast of five in in my hometown of Andover, North Andover. I do the Thanksgiving Day race and you know, I'm so I'm very fortunate. I mean I I put on the Singapore Marathon in Singapore with 60,000 people. I put on races in Lima, Peru, and South America. I put on triathlons all over the Caribbean. I directed the World Triathlon Championship at Walt Disney World in 1990. I've done the U.S. Olympic Trials for the Women, marathon trials in St. Louis in 2004, and in Boston in 2008. I mean, I directed about 1,200 events wow. literally all over the world. And now it looks like I'm going to direct... You're from Portland? Yeah. Okay, so... This stays in this room, okay? I'm on a podcast. <laughs> There's a chance mm-hmm. that the marathon world championship—it was just in Doha and Qatar yeah. a couple mm-hmm. of weeks yeah, we'll ago. Mm-hmm. Now the the world championships are going to be in Eugene. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Okay, but the marathons might be in Portland. Oh, how thrilling! Might be. Might be. Uh, How's that work? Is that right? Okay, yeah. And I might be mm-hmm. directing them.
0: Oh, yeah. That might be exciting. That might be exciting. <laughs>
3: A lot of mites going on around here. But, you know, so it's been, it's, I, I love being on both sides of the fence, being being the athlete and running in races, but also being, you know, people say to me all the time, what do you do for a living? When they used to ask me, I used to say, race director. They go, Yo, what? Race director. They say, race director? What do you do? Chalk mark in the road. Yell go? And I said, well, Yeah. I guess that's what I do. And now when people say to me, what do you do for a living? I say, I help raise the level of self-esteem and self-confidence of tens of thousands of people in America. Because that's what this does, right? That's what this does. So- I don't consider what I do work. I'm so fortunate to have been able to combine a hobby with a vocation. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst day of the week for me is Friday because everyone leaves work and no one answers emails and I'm still at it. (laughs) And I can hardly (laughs) wait till Monday so we can keep going, folks. We got a lot to do, you know, kind of a thing. So I'm very, very lucky that I'm so passionate about what I do. Can you tell? You are. You Yeah.
0: (laughs) I've also. I'm not sure I've ever met anybody who responds more quick, quickly to email than you do.
3: Well, i Here's my attitude: is that there's no one in this room that's any more important than anyone else in this room. We are all in this together, right? And when when you get these big shots out there, fame and fortune or whatever it is, and the, you know, even if someone emails me looking for something, I want this. I'll respond to them and say. I appreciate the fact that you want, and it must be tough to want all the time. (laughs) But I can't give it to you, but thanks for writing. But I will respond to everyone and anyone. I had this woman call me up one day. She says, hi, Dave, uh, my name's Katie. Can I come see you at the Boston Marathon? I said, sure. Yeah, I'll see anyone anytime. Absolutely. She comes in. She comes in in a wheelchair, right? She goes into the conference room, and I look across the, the, the table, and my jaw dropped. And Katie was 26 inches tall, and she looked at me, and she says, I have a question to ask you. I said, what's that? She says, can I run the marathon? I said, you want to run the marathon? She said, I want to run the marathon. I said, well, ask me a difficult question. She said, I can? I said, yeah. She said, I can run the marathon. I said, yeah, you can run the marathon. She said, well, I have a caveat. I said, what's that? She says, my marathon's 26.2 feet. I said, okay, 26.2 feet, it is. She trained like the Dickens, right? So I set up, it was like here to that wall. I set up 26.2 feet of barricades from the starting line to 26.2 feet at the start of the, that year's Boston Marathon. Helicopters are going, elite athletes from all over the world, 30,000 runners, and here she comes in a wheelchair. And she comes out, and she gets in a walker, mm-hmm. and I yell, go. And she took off. And she took seven and a half minutes, and she did it. And I put a laurel wreath on her head, and a medal around her neck, and gave her a big hug. Well, nine hours later, I'm running my night marathon, and I'm running down Boylston Street to the finish. And I look in the distance, and there's one person waiting for me, little Katie in the wheelchair. Aww. And she puts a laurel wreath around my head that she made, and a medal around my neck that she made. And she looked up at me, and she goes, "Ha! I beat you!" <laughs> 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 and uh, but but Katie did it. Was her game, her rules. She, she ended up dying maybe six months later. She had 35 operations at Children's and the whole bit, right? But at least I felt like, and you know, one last thing. So, so like a year after that, I'm sitting in my home office. I'm looking out the window and a, a landscaping truck pulls up I'm like, what the heck is this? And they, they start digging a hole in my yard and they're planting a tree. I'm like, what the heck are they doing? I didn't order a tree. <laughs> all of a sudden the phone rings and it's little Katie's mother, Joan Lynch. And I said, she said hello, is this Dave? I said, yeah, how are you doing? Good. She said, is there a landscaping company there? I said, yeah, what's up? She says, well, we wanted to give you a tree in Katie's name so that you can nurture it and water it and take care of it and watch it grow as Katie would have grown. And and you had done so much for her that we want to give you Katie back. Oh that tree is still in my, it's growing in my yard. Mm. I mean, imagine that. Mm. So there's a, how can you not love your job when you're able to mm.
1: Mm. Well,
3: put life in other people's? Answer emails, answer
1: emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Dave, you've just been so lovely. I mean, seriously, thank you for sharing your spirit and your passion. And I mean, I see tears around the audience. I mean, it's, thank you for taking time to do this today because I know that this is going to go out on our podcast and people are just going to be deeply touched. So thank you.
3: Well, just remember a couple of things. One is <laughs> I think the worst injustice anyone could ever do to themselves is to underestimate their own ability level. And those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are doing it, Mm -hmm. right? So truly in everything, follow your heart, follow your passion, you know, set the goal, earn the right. You know, it's funny, you know, the whole thing with the medal, I give away medals a lot because what I say to people is, you know, you, you make the commitment, you earn it, you toe the line, you run the course, you get the medal, and magic happens, You go home feeling good about yourself. There's nothing on this planet that's more important than feeling good about yourself because that's the foundation by which we accomplish anything else in our lives is yourself. So take care of yourself.
1: a box of Kleenex around for everybody.
0: (laughs) I mean, my gosh. Wow. All right. Okay. Now for the crass brand promo. Um, (laughs) uh, So if you want to be part of a podcast recording party like this one, the best way is to be part of one of our retreats. As I said at the top of the show, next October we're convening across the country in Portland, Oregon, where here there might be a special marathon in a couple of years, um, <laughs> and uh, where Another Mother Runner is headquartered um, for four days and three nights of expert sessions, group runs, meals, exploring the city, and lots of laughs. For all the details and to register, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on the events tabs in the top navigation. You'll see the 2020 Portland Running Retreat in the drop-down menu. Uh, we hope you'll join us all. This podcast is produced... In- uh, Portland by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures and. And in, by Jackson. Yeah. In, uh, yeah, in Falmouth. Falmouth Massachusetts. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, many happy miles. Many happy miles to all of us. <laughs>